0: The Old Testament reading is Psalm 37, verses 1 through 9. And this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And now let's turn to Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 21, for our New Testament reading. And just as David in the psalm that we just heard, just as he calls us to trust in the Lord, to commit our way to him, to delight ourselves in the Lord, so Paul, as he characterizes his ministry Uh, In this passage, he characterizes it as a ministry of calling people to faith, uh, to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and also calling people to repentance, repentance toward God. So let's hear uh, Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 21. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, in our Lord Jesus Christ. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Today we are continuing our consideration of the topic that we are spending several weeks on, and that is the order of salvation. And just by way of review, or in case you are visiting today, and this is new to you, the order of salvation Uh, consists of those various acts of God's grace uh, by which he applies to us uh, that salvation that Christ accomplished for us uh, by his death and resurrection. And so two weeks ago, uh, we looked at uh, the first uh, act of God's grace and this order of salvation that was calling. A calling is God's uh, sovereign, his powerful work in drawing us to Jesus Christ for salvation. And then last week we looked at the grace of regeneration, and this is that spiritual rebirth by uh, the work of the Spirit of God, by which uh, we are made alive with Jesus Christ. We receive a new heart. We receive a new will. We are enabled then uh, to believe in Christ for salvation. And this morning we will be combining the next two uh, works of God's grace in the order of salvation and those are faith and repentance, faith and repentance. Our focus will be on faith. Uh, that will be the, what we spend the most time on is considering faith. Uh, but as we'll see, uh, we cannot separate repentance from faith uh, because a true uh, faith in Christ always involves a turning away from sin and turning towards God. So uh, faith uh, will be our subject And repentance as well. But let's start by defining faith. What is faith? Uh, There is no better definition uh, of faith uh, than that which is given to us in our Shorter Catechism. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism 86, the question is What is faith in Jesus Christ? And the answer is Faith in Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He is offered to us in the gospel. Uh, This faith uh, in Christ, receiving Christ, resting upon Christ, believing upon Christ. Uh, This is the only way for us as sinners to have our sins forgiven and to be uh, given the hope of eternal life. Apart from faith, apart from personal faith and trust in the Son of God and Jesus Christ, there is no possibility of salvation. We cannot be saved. We are condemned until we entrust ourselves to Jesus Christ as he has revealed to us in the scriptures. And so for this reason, we're not talking about any kind of religious faith, but we're talking about biblical faith, saving faith in Jesus Christ. And that will be our subject today, this saving faith, the faith that brings us redemption. And there are four things. Uh, To consider about saving faith that we'll uh, look at today. The first is this saving faith is a gift from God. Saving faith is a gift from God. Uh, One of my goals as we go through this uh, series of sermons on the order of salvation, and really uh, we could expand that. One of my goals for the entirety of my service as a pastor and a preacher is that we will magnify in our hearts. the sheer graciousness, uh, the wonderful graciousness of God towards us in our salvation, that we will see more and more that from beginning to end, in every aspect of our salvation, it is entirely the work of God, and it is entirely not the result of our work. We are saved by God's grace. And every person in the Trinity, all three persons of the Godhead, Uh, give us grace in different ways. God the Father, he planned for our redemption from before the beginning of time, even before he created us, he knew us, he loved us, he set us apart in Jesus Christ that we should be saved. And then when the fullness of time had come, the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world and he accomplished that salvation for us by his obedience, by his suffering and death upon the cross, by his resurrection from the dead, And then God, the Holy Spirit, he works in us by his sovereign power to unite us to the Lord Jesus Christ so that we receive from him every spiritual blessing for salvation. And so in every possible way that we can think about it, salvation is entirely the work of God's grace. As the psalmist says, salvation belongs to the Lord. It does not belong to us and to our work, but it belongs to the Lord and to his work. And that is true also when it comes to our faith, to our entrusting ourselves to Christ. This, too, is a work of God's grace. If today you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, it is because you have received a gift. God has blessed you. He has been merciful to you. He has given you this gift of faith. Now, someone may be thinking at this point, wait a minute. Let's stop right there. If I remember, it was myself, it was I who uh, put my faith in Christ. God did not believe for me, but I responded with faith to the gospel. It was me, I, who exercised my will to put my hope in Christ. God did not do that for me. And that is true. Unlike with regeneration, which we saw last week. In faith, we are not entirely passive, but in fact, we are active. You do will to believe in Christ. You do submit to him as your Lord and Savior in faith. But you can only exercise that faith in Christ. You can only uh, will to believe in him, to respond to the gospel in faith, because God has already done a prior work of grace in you, because he has given you the grace to do so. And that's what we considered last week. We learned from Scripture last week that before a person puts his hope and trust in Christ, he must be made new. He must become a new person. He must be born again, given a new heart by the Spirit of God. And this grace is uh, regeneration, and it is uh, by this grace that we can truly believe in Christ. It is only as God enables us, only as he gives us a new heart, Can we then respond by faith and trust uh, to Christ in response to the gospel? Uh, 1 John 5, 1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And so this truth that our faith is a gift of God's grace, this is implied in the truth that we only believe because we have been born again by God's grace. But the scriptures also explicitly declare to us over and over again that the faith that we have in Christ has been given to us as a gift. Ephesians two eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. In Acts chapter 16, we read how Paul and his fellow missionaries uh, spoke to some women in Philippi uh, about Christ, they preached the gospel, and Luke tells us this in Acts 16.14, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Uh, what was said by Paul would have bounced right off of her and she would have walked away unbelieving unless, the God, had opened, unless God had opened her heart. So it is a gift. 1 Corinthians twelve three. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Uh, no one by nature, by his own understanding, can confess that Jesus is Lord unless the Spirit works that faith in that person. Now, this truth that our coming to Christ by faith is a gift. This is a truth that should make us very humble. It should make us very thankful because it means that you and I are no better than anyone else in the world when it comes to uh, deserving uh, the grace of God. We do not deserve God's grace. We are not more worthy than anybody else to be recipients of the grace of God. We cannot congratulate ourselves that we have responded in faith to the gospel because uh, somehow we were wiser than others, smarter than others, more responsible than others. If it were not for the grace of God, we would be spiritually blind. We would be unbelieving. We would not love Christ. We would reject him. In fact, we would hate him. One author said, we are not born believers. And that is so true. We are not born believers. We are born unbelievers. But when God, by his spirit, works in us, that grace of regeneration and making us alive with Christ, we are reborn. And as those who have been born again, we believe. We are believers. And so faith is a gift. And so we must give Praise and thanks to God for this gift. If you trust in Christ today, give thanks to God for that gift of faith because um, he has been merciful to you. So secondly, saving faith is wholehearted trust in Christ. There's a sense in which faith is a simple thing. Even a child, even a young child can truly entrust themselves to Jesus Christ for salvation. It is not something complicated or difficult. And yet, in another sense, there is much more to faith than meets the eye. And theologians in the history of the church, they have done a lot of thinking and writing about saving faith, and they've broken down true saving faith into three elements. And the first is knowledge. In order to believe in Christ for salvation, you must know something about him. You must know the truth about him. You must have information imparted to you about Christ the Son of God who died for our sins. And so faith begins with knowledge. Romans 10:17. So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the preaching of the gospel and hearing through the word of Christ. The second element of saving faith is assent. That is you must believe what you have heard about Christ to be true. You must believe agree that this is the truth, what the scriptures have revealed to us about Jesus. Hebrews 11, 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, that's not enough though for salvation, uh, to know the truth and to believe the truth. In fact, the scriptures tell us there is a whole class of beings who not only know the truth about Christ, but they also believe the truth about Christ And yet they are lost. And these are the demons, evil spirits. James 2.19 says, Even the demons believe and shudder. And so there is one more element to saving faith if that faith is genuine faith that brings us uh, to uh, Christ for salvation. And that is this. That is trust. It is trust. If your faith and hope in Christ is a true saving faith, then you are entrusting yourself to Christ. You are relying upon him. You are leaning upon him. You have committed yourself wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ, the son of God. You are not relying upon yourself, your wisdom, your works, your goodness. But you have transferred your reliance for salvation, for eternal life from yourself or from whatever else to the person of Christ Jesus. And so faith in Christ is not mere knowledge of the truth. It is not even a sense to the truth or belief in the truth, but it is wholehearted trust in Jesus. And because it is trust in Jesus, it is trust in a person. It is trust in a person, a living, knowable person. God does not call you, and as a Christian, this is not true of you, God does not call you to entrust yourself to a church. He does not call you to entrust yourself. Uh, to a system of theology. He does not call you even to trust yourself to God uh, if you are going to define God however you want. But the faith to which God calls you is trust in his Son, the resurrected, the reigning Son of God, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners, as he is revealed to us in the Scriptures. Only the Christ of the Bible is. The Jesus, the Christ, who can save us, and only by trust in Him can we be saved. And we are called to entrust our very life to Him, not only our life in this world, but our life for eternity. Our eternal destiny, we are called to entrust to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Several years ago, when we lived up in Alaska, I had the opportunity to uh, go fishing on the Copper River uh, with uh, some people from our church up there. And one of the young men who came along was uh, someone who had been doing a lot of fire and rescue training with the local fire department. And he brought some of his equipment with him and some of his ropes. And uh, during a break from the fishing, uh, he set up uh, uh, some ropes so that we could repel down this, about a 30-foot cliff that was uh, just a little ways from our tents. And so um, he invited me to give it a try. And so I gave it a try. If you've ever repelled, you know that feeling when you're standing on the edge of a cliff or on the edge of a tall building, you know that feeling when you're about to lean back and launch yourself from the edge of that uh, building or, or, or cliff or whatever it is, you know what it's like to trust. Because at that point, you are putting a lot of trust in uh, the rope that's holding you. You have to trust that that is a sturdy rope. You're putting a lot of trust that, uh, that uh, it's been all uh, put together properly. It's holding on to something solid. Uh, most of all, you have to trust in the person who set it all up. And so when I stepped off the side of that cliff, I, I did so uh, trusting my safety and perhaps even my very life uh, to this young man who had uh, set up uh, all of this repelling um, uh, rigging so that we could do this. And when I went off the edge, I, I showed, I demonstrated that I trusted that he knew exactly what he was doing. And this is what trust in Christ is like. It is a wholehearted reliance and a leaning upon uh, the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, to go back to the story of the repelling, after uh, we took a few turns repelling down the rock wall and we were uh, walking back to our tents, I asked the young man, I said, uh, so I, I assume that this was part of your tr- the training that you've been receiving, that they taught you how to set up the ropes and everything for rappelling. And he said, no, no, I, I just learned that on YouTube. And uh, if, I, if I had known that before uh, I started rappelling, I think I would not have been so uh, quick to trust him. But thankfully, we have an infinitely more reliable source than YouTube, for giving us reason, for giving us every possible reason for putting our trust in Christ, and that is we have the Word of God. In the Scriptures, we have God's very Word. He testifies to us, and because He is God, He cannot lie. He is true, His Word is truth. And therefore, what He has revealed to us about His Son Jesus Christ. You can believe. You can trust it. You can come to Christ as he comes to you in the scripture, knowing that he will save you. He will preserve, preserve you forever in his grace and care. This is the promise that God gives to us for everyone who comes to Jesus Christ by faith. He says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And so faith... Is not just knowing the truth, not just believing the truth, but it is wholehearted trust in Christ. Uh, thirdly, saving faith is the faith by which you live the entire Christian life. First uh, Corinthians 5 7 tells us this that we walk by faith, not by sight. It's not only by faith that we rest in Christ, but it is out of that faith, it is by that faith that we live the entirety of our lives as Christians. You are familiar with hebrews chapter 11 uh, that chapter that uh, is a testimony of all the old or or many of the old testament saints uh, of the faith that they had in the lord and when you read that chapter what you have is not just a description or testimony that they believed in the Lord and believed his promises, which is all true. But what we read is a description of all the extraordinary acts of faithfulness and obedience that these Old Testament saints rendered to the Lord by their faith. They walked by faith. They did all kinds of things by faith. For example, uh, Hebrews eleven four: by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Verse 29, by faith the people of God crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land. And so what this chapter shows us is that faith, faith in the Lord, or faith in Christ, this is the source of all obedience. This is the root of all our uh, serving Christ, serving the Lord, obeying his word. And on the other side of that, unbelief, disbelief. This is the source of all disobedience. And the longer I am a Christian, the more I have come to realize and see that at the root of all my sinning is unbelief. At the root of all of my sin is a failure one way or another. To trust in Christ, to believe his promises, uh, to believe in his word. If by faith I had greater conviction, if by faith I was more assured and certain that God would provide for me in this life, I would be way less anxious from day to day. If by faith I was more convinced of the love and the kindness and the patience that God has shown me in his son, Jesus Christ, I would be more loving and kind and patient towards others. If by faith I had a greater grasp of the, the sheer magnitude of the grace that God has given me in saving me from my sin and making me his son, I would be far more forgiving and accepting of others. If by faith I had a clearer understanding of the holiness and the righteousness of God, if by faith I could see more clearly who God is in all of his uh, glory, his righteousness, his majesty, Oh, I would hate my sin so much more. I would be so much more zealous to, to, to leave my sin, to forsake it. I'd be far, if, if by faith I found all my joy and delight in the communion that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ, if by faith that was the joy of my heart, I would be far less prone to seek the satisfaction of my heart in the idols of this world. At the root of all of our sins, there is unbelief. And there is way more unbelief in our hearts than we usually recognize or, or see. And for that reason, the cry of faith is for greater faith. Faith calls out to God for more faith. Faith wants to grow, faith wants to believe. As Christians, we are like the man who cried out to Jesus in Mark chapter 9, verse 24 I believe, help my unbelief. I believe in you, Lord, yet I recognize how much I don't believe. Help my unbelief. I read uh, this past week of a a minister from some time in church history. I don't know when, the 1800s or something. But one, one thing that he said was that if God limited me to only one prayer, it would be the prayer of the apostles. Lord, increase our faith. And that's what we need daily. As Christians, we need grace. We need the increase of faith. We need God to help our unbelief so that we might live lives that are pleasing to the Father. That we might live lives that are growing in conformity uh, to the righteousness, the the, the holiness of Christ. And so saving faith is the faith by which you live the entire life, your entire life. Uh, Fourthly, saving faith is a repentant faith. Saving faith is a repentant faith. If you've you've ever visit Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and perhaps you've been there, I'm sure some of you have, uh, there's a Civil War Museum there uh, that uh, is unlike any Civil War museum, I would guess, that you will ever find anywhere in the country. Uh, This museum features uh, several large uh, dioramas of uh, Civil War battles, and so there are thousands of little clay figures Uh, the soldiers and uh, they represent of course the northern the southern armies and different reenactments of uh, various battles but what makes these battle scenes so unique uh, these these dioramas so unique is that all of the clay figures are little cats and so you have uh, you have a confederate army of little clay cats uh, fighting the union army of little blue cats now i haven't actually been to the museum myself but i know the people who uh, own and operate this museum And they are two young women who are identical twins. Their names are Ruth and Rebecca. And Robin and I knew them when they were teenagers, still in high school, because our family lived in the basement of their family's apartment when I was a seminary student uh, outside of Philadelphia. And the thing that I always remember about Ruth and Rebecca, and I think even then they were starting to build their clay cat dioramas. But even then or back then, what I remember was that they were inseparable. I never saw Ruth without Rebecca. I never saw Rebecca without Ruth. I could never tell them apart. They looked exactly alike. Obviously, they were different people, and yet they were always together. They were like inseparable. And now they operate this really unique museum together. Well, Faith has a twin sister. Faith has a twin sister, and her name is Repentance. And just like Ruth and Rebecca were inseparable, so Faith and Repentance. As twin sisters, they, too, are never separated from one another. Where there is true faith in Jesus Christ, the person who is truly entrusting himself to Christ for salvation, he also will be repenting. He will be repenting of his sins. And vice versa, the person who genuinely repents of his sins, turns from his sins, will do so in faith, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where our New Testament reading comes in. In our New Testament reading from Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul here, he has called the elders down from Ephesus. He has met, uh, he's meeting them in Miletus, and he's talking to them about his past ministry in Ephesus. And he says in verse 21 that he testified both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul's message was not just one of faith, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it was also one of repentance. This was part of his message. This was his teaching of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul learned this from Jesus himself because this was the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter one, we read at the beginning of the, uh, of the ministry of Jesus, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand Repent and believe in the gospel. Not just believe in the gospel, but repent and believe in the gospel. This is how Jesus began his ministry. And in fact, you could say, it would be true to say, that the message of the gospel itself is a gospel of repentance. That is, the message of the gospel calls for, it demands repentance as a response on our part. In Luke's gospel, when Jesus appeared to his disciples... After his resurrection, when he is showing them uh, from the scriptures, that is the Old Testament, all the things that uh, were revealed there concerning him and his work, he said to his disciples, Luke 24, 46, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, his message was this, Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the scriptures never separate faith from repentance. They are not the same, but they always go together. You could put it this way. Saving faith in Christ is always a repentant faith, and repentance will always be a believing repentance. Well, with that in mind, what exactly is repentance? Well, repentance means, essentially, it means turning away from sin and turning towards God and his righteousness. And it begins in the mind. It begins in the heart. It begins with recognizing your sin, seeing your sin for what it is. That is, that in God's sight, it is something evil. Now, there may be reasons why we hate our sin we might hate our sin because of the consequences of it what it does to us what it has done to our life what it has done to others we may hate our sin for that reason and that is good enough or that is a good in itself but it's not enough we must hate our sin for the same reason that god hates it because it is evil it is an offense to him we must hate our sin simply for what it is You know, the the psalm that we read responsibly, Psalm 51, a psalm of repentance. And David had a lot to repent of. He sinned against a lot of people. Uh, Most egregiously, he sinned against Uriah by having him murdered. And of course, he sinned against his wife Bathsheba by uh, calling her to him to commit adultery with her. And because he was the king of Israel, he essentially sinned against the whole nation of Israel. And yet, what does he say in that psalm? He says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, David understood that he had sinned against many people, but at heart, ultimately, the basic issue was this that he had violated God's commandments. He had offended God. He had done what is evil in God's sight. And so he says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil. Repentance begins with seeing your sin for what it is, that it is something that God hates and it is evil in itself, but that leads to the next step of repentance, which is turning from that sin, forsaking that sin, leaving that sin. But there's another element of repentance that the Bible gives us that we, I, we can't miss it. It's so important. And that is this, that in repentance, you not only turn away from your sin because you hate it for what it is, but you also turn to Christ because you see in Jesus Christ the revelation of the mercy, the goodness, the grace of God towards all those who repent. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 2:4. He says, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. He doesn't say God's law is meant to lead you to repentance, but God's kindness, His compassion, His mercy leads a sinner to repentance. And so a truly repentant sinner sees both the ugliness of the sin, but he also sees the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He sees that Jesus is a merciful Savior, that he, is, that he will welcome the repentant sinner, that he is, ready, he is ready to forgive even the worst sins and to remember them no more. Let me ask you, what do you think of your sin? What do you think of your sin? Do you, do you hate it? Do you hate your sin or is there some sin in your heart that you are secretly cherishing, that you secretly love? Do you see the evil of your sin? Do you see that in your heart there are within you the seeds of every conceivable sin? Now, this sin may not break out in your words and your actions, but there is, at least in seed form, the beginning of every possible sin in your hearts. But at the same time, do you not only see that, but do you see the kindness of God to you in Christ? Do you see that if you will turn from your sin and flee to Christ for salvation, that he will welcome you, he will cleanse you, he will purify you from all unrighteousness, he will give you eternal life? With all this in mind, with this repentance, this faith that is a gift of God's grace, let me ask you these questions. First of all, do you trust in Christ alone for your salvation? Today, are you entrusting in the Son of God for salvation? Not in the fact that you're a church today, not in whatever good things you have done, not in living a basically decent and upright life, but do you recognize that as a sinner, your only hope is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and are you trusting in him? Are you relying upon him? And secondly, are you repenting of your sins? Repentance is not just a one-time deal. We don't just repent of sin, come to Christ, and then we are done with repentance at that point. But repentance is a lifelong endeavor because sin is with us throughout our lives until we are brought into glory. Do you acknowledge your own sin? Do you own it? Do you take responsibility for it? Do you confess it? And are you turning from it? We never turn from it perfectly, but we are called to endeavor sincerely and wholeheartedly to turn from our sin. According to Jesus Christ, the gospel message demands faith and repentance. This is our response to the gospel, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to repent and and turn towards God and his righteousness. And according to Jesus, the promise of the gospel is this, that whoever turns to him, whoever comes to him in faith, in repentant faith, he should not perish, but have everlasting life. Turn from your sin, come to Jesus, and you will be forgiven, and receive life forevermore. Let's pray.